Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 1. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we thank you for your word. And even for this example going before us of Paul's love for Philippi and their love for him. Lord, we come to you now uh, in the beginning of a difficult transition, both for my family, but also for this church. And uh, even as we prepare to say goodbye, Lord, we pray that you would be giving us your spirit to comfort, to console, but also to give us courage uh, to follow you into new stages. So we pray this morning that you, Holy Spirit, and your power and your creativity and your wisdom would actually begin those things in us as we hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here we are. Uh, This is my goodbye sermon. And uh, I got dressed up for you, so (laughs) thank you. Thanks, Autumn. Thanks. Uh, This may be one of the hardest sermons I'll preach. No one likes saying goodbye. Uh, In reading Paul's letters this year, I've been struck more and more how much his relationships were actually strained by the fact that he did have to say goodbye so much. In fact, the whole book of 2 Corinthians is basically an extended uh, version of saying, I really did love you even though I can't come to see you. Um, And in fact, as Paul went on to plant more and more churches, they wanted him to stay around too. And so he has everyone wanting him to stay. And I began to see, actually, what's happening to Paul is what's happening to us. Um, It's hard to say goodbye to you all. It's hard to end this season uh, that has brought us so much joy. Uh, Many of you people who have been such a delight to us. Uh, At our feast party last week, uh, we were standing around all praying and singing and Um, I was just looking around, and something Bethany had said to me on the drive there was, there are so many beautiful people at Christ Church. And I just thought, yes, yes. There are so many beautiful people at Christ Church. And uh, I just felt overwhelmed with the goodness of God in our community. And looking at all of you and the various things he's done in your stories, I just thought, God is kind. God is so kind to us. So it's hard to leave Uh, It's also hard to maintain an open heart after we say goodbye. And I think that's because uh, when we say goodbye, uh, goodbyes always introduce 
disappointment into our relationships. Longing and waiting that wasn't there before. And so to maintain an open heart means you also have to confront the disappointment of not having enough time, of not getting to finish that conversation, of not seeing each other the way we'd want. And so in this way, every goodbye is a small death. You know, we're not actually meant to say goodbye. We're not meant to die either. And so inevitably, part of our hearts will be torn. But uh, it's also probably one of my most joyful sermons. I, I want to reflect on all of God's goodness that we've shared in the last five years in this community. Um, God has done so much in our community, in me, in my family, that I just want to pause and say, praise the Lord. God is good to us. God has been good to us. But I think also in doing that, that'll give us good grounds to begin hoping as well for the future. Um, hope is the thing that enables us to both grieve in saying goodbye and to really grieve, but also to continue in relationship and to continue uh, engaging with each other after we said goodbye. The book of Philippians is a letter that Paul wrote to one of these churches I mentioned, a church that he planted, discipled, and trained elders in, and then left. In fact, it seems like he only spent short seasons there, like months, unlike Ephesus and Corinth, where he spent like three years, for instance. Uh, nowhere near the five years I've spent with you all. And yet Paul has this immediate affection for this church that uh, I felt captures the way that uh, Bethany and I feel towards you. Uh, so we're going to look at Philippians and three points today. God's past goodness to CCB, God's goodness to me and Bethany in the last five years, and the hope of God's goodness for our shared future. So first, God's goodness to CCB in the past. Uh, this is verses 3 through 5. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul looks back and is thankful for the Philippian church, and I just want you to know uh, we will always thank God for uh, the people of CCB. Uh, you will always be dear to us, and uh, we will thank the Lord with joy. For all of you. And so I just want to think about what, is, what are the good things? What are the things we're remembering? Uh, well, I want to point out three things. First, God's grace before us. God's grace maturing us, and then also God's grace in sending us good people. Uh, so much of God's goodness to us as a community started long before Bethany and I even showed up on the scene. And this is the way the Lord works. Uh, long before uh, Nate and Shannon even met each other, God was already at work in their lives. Uh, long before uh, even them conceiving to go to seminary and church plant, God has been at work, and so much the same for each of our founding families, for the, uh, the Mosses, for the Clausens, for the Limbs, the Vans, uh, and so much the same for each of you. The Lord carefully prepares pockets and seasons of his goodness to come find you. And so how did this church come to be? God's persistent, creative goodness. He has very carefully ordained that each of us would be at this place in this time, for a time, for each other. And so the point I want to get across is that the Lord has been at work long before any of us showed up on the scene. In fact, God can bury his workers and continue his work. And so uh, we will miss you and you will miss us and he can send us on and yet God is not flustered because he's been at work for decades, for centuries, for millennia. 
faithfully working for our good. Also, God has matured us in the last five years. I think um, the way we've grown in the last five years is actually from the Lord, and I'm proud and thankful to see the way that God has shaped our community. Uh, when I came, I think we felt cute and quirky. <laughs> uh, and I think now we are more deeply beautiful as a community. And a couple of things about, about that that I noticed, just um, our, our age range has grown. That alone is a gift, but not to mention also just the backgrounds of who we are. We've become increasingly diverse and increasingly broad. Those are signs to me of God's maturing us. But also more and more of you have taken ownership of what we have as a community. And you've stepped into leadership with all of the joys and the heartbreak. And that is a good sign as well. But also, you know, we've like become more structured, you know, and we have like you know, organized thing, and our staff has grown. But at the same time, we've also suffered more as a community. And so the Lord's tested us. But I think it's more than just a test. The Lord actually, through our suffering together, has matured and transformed us. Uh, the Lord has actually deepened our love and our bond as a community every time one of our people suffers because we've been suffering with them. And those are beautiful things you cannot uh, fabricate. But also, God's goodness to us in the last five years has been sending us good people. Uh, you know, Jesus says in Matthew 9, uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of harvest to send more workers out into his harvest. Uh, God has sent us good people. In fact, one of my favorite stories is uh, Nate, Diana, and I, we used to have a weekly admin meeting, and we were just noticing, like, ah, there's so many things wrong with the building. We had a bunch of molehills at the time, and the gutter's always dripping. And blah. All these issues, and we're like, you know, Diana said, you know, we just need someone, some like old retired guy who could just like putz around the church and then go tinker on things and deal with the moles and who just like is happy to have something to do. So we're like, you know, let's pray. The Lord, the Lord knows who we need. Let's just pray. So we prayed, Lord, please send whoever you think is good and here's our needs. We trust you. Amen. Stop praying and look up. And here comes Ted Newfeld driving in on his tractor. <laughs> it's like... Thank you, Lord Jesus, for Ted and the tractor showing up. Uh, the fact is, is that God gives good gifts. And his favorite gifts are people. Uh, when, when we arrived, we were tremendously lonely. And our boys were too. And uh, we prayed, I remember, for about a month straight uh, with our boys, with each other. And just prayed for the Lord to send us friends. I think it was about a month later that we got an email from this guy in Chicago who had his PhD in theology and was moving out here to work at Faith Life and wanted to come join our church. Uh, the, the Lord sent us the Ellis's. And then like a year or two later, Abby and Wes come, Bethany's sister and brother-in-law. Like, oh, goodness. These are precious and dear gifts. And the fact is, is actually I could keep going. Uh, what I'm trying to communicate is that God very carefully sends people as gifts to us. And he's done that over and over in this church. So what I want you to see is that each of us is actually meant to be a gift to the others here. Like, how beautiful is that? That the Lord carefully for years has been crafting things in you and moving you across the country or giving you desires or ideas so that you could be a gift to the person sitting next to you.
What a creative and brilliant and kind God. And that's exactly what he loves to do. And that's true of like the stellar, godly, wise people who just showed up on our doorstep, but also of the people who have come to grow through our life together. Uh, We are meant to be a gift to each other. And I just, I want you to see how kind that is. But also God's goodness to me and Bethany. And I want to highlight three things. Uh, The first is that I've been blessed by being given space to learn. Uh, My first week here, I think we were here for one Sunday, and then Nate and I, like, trained. He trained me for a week, and then he preached again, and then he was gone on vacation for two weeks. (laughs) So I've been here for a week, and then he took off. (laughs) Thanks, dude. Well, during that time, uh, Claire Williams had gone into the hospital with sepsis, and uh, Randy Williams called me and left me a voicemail saying, hey, Daniel, I thought you'd probably want to know. We're in the hospital. Claire's had another bout of sepsis. Um, Please pray. Well, I got the voicemail, and first off, I I had no idea what sepsis was. I didn't know that was a thing. Um, But I also, you know what happened is, I, I think I was just terrified. I was terrified to go into the hospital. I've never done a hospital visit. And so I didn't. I didn't look up what sepsis was. I did pray for them, but uh, I I avoided that whole situation. And the Lord was kind, and Claire recovered, and Randy and Claire are the most gracious people. Um, and, And so many other examples like that, where the Lord's given me space to learn. And I just want to, the reason why I want to say this is because it's going to be tempting to forget just how much I had to learn what it really was like at first. Uh, I say this because I want to strongly commend to you your role as a training church, that you would embrace that, especially with any new staff hires coming in after me. Uh, It's always unfair to compare the new guy with the old guy. And and people compared me to Nate when I came in, and understandably so, um, but I'm not Nate. (laughs) As much as we're very similar, I'm certainly not him and I think as what's happened is as we've gotten to know each other, many of you have begun to appreciate the fact that I'm not Nate. And uh, so much so also for the next person, whether John or Craig or anyone else, they won't be like me because they aren't me. And what I want to say is all the better, all the better, because they will have uh, perspectives and unique experiences and things that they bring to the table that I never could have. And so, please, let me just encourage you to extend the same grace to every leader as you've extended to me, because it's given me space to learn. More importantly, to fail. I've also feel I've learned uh, what questions really matter. Uh, I, you know, I'm a curious fellow. I graduated seminary with all sorts of ideas and questions, and uh, some of those are still there. But um, some of the daily The pace and the grind of ministry meant that I did not study as much as I would like. But also, uh, as I began to just live with you all and watch your own daily grind and also your long seasons of waiting and groaning, uh, all this had an effect on me. And uh, what I've come to see now is that the most important things are faith hope, and love. And those are very difficult to find. They're very costly to grow into. And so uh, I'm no less intellectual. You all know that. Uh, But God has shown me the things that are most weighty, the things that are worth pursuing. 
And I've gotten those things by watching and learning from you all, by being in relationship. And so that brings me to the last blessing, and that is uh, being let in. It has been a tremendous gift, a precious gift to me and Bethany that you have let us into your lives. Uh, It is a sacred honor to sit in hospital rooms. Uh, To have been with many of you in uh, your heartbreaks. Uh, For my wife to be with many of you in your births. (laughs) Uh, It is such a sacred honor to be with you uh, in the chaos. And uh, in your confusion, in your relationship with the Lord. And so, thank you. That is such a precious gift. And, um, and it's been an honor to both of us that you would entrust us with uh, your heaviest things in your life. And it is heavy to be entrusted with those things. But the privilege and the joy of being entrusted with heavy things is that we also get to be on the front lines of seeing what the Lord is doing in those heavy things. That I get to see God's kindness to you Um, That we get to see the joy, the surprising joy that the Lord has worked into you after that hospital room, after that divorce, after the damage that God has been kind. And so uh, thank you for sharing not only your burdens, but also what the Lord's done. Uh, I never wanted to be a pastor. I still sometimes don't. (laughs) But now I actually don't want to stop. Um, The other Sunday I was looking around and I realized as I looked at many of you, I don't get to see your stories to completion. That's hard. uh, Because I don't get to taste that joy that I just described. And so if you would do us a kindness and keep open hearts to us, so that when we come back, we can hear what's happened. uh, That would be a tremendous gift. I want to finish our time uh, together by thinking about our hope. So... Hope of God's goodness for our shared future. This is verse 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul's sure of this, and I think we have reason to be sure of this as well. What's the ground of our hope? Well, having seen all the good things the Lord's done for us, I think we ought to be more confident that he will continue. He will not let up. In fact, the whole character of our hope as a Christian is in the character of God. He is no liar. He's not fickle. He doesn't drop you when something more interesting comes along on a Saturday night. But he also gives us more than that to hope in. The Lord doesn't simply promise things and tell us to remember. The Lord has actually paid dearly. Costly price to make his promises because the Lord Jesus has taken on all of our suffering that he actually has entered into our lives and suffered in his own flesh so that he could guarantee his promises to us. They are not lightly made. But more than that, just like we leave a credit card when we rent something, the Lord has left something very precious, more precious than a credit card. The Lord has left his Holy Spirit in us. 
So we actually have tremendous reason and confidence that God will do everything he has promised. But I want to ask, what is it exactly he has promised? What is the thing we are hoping for? And I want to think about that for CCB. I want to think about that for the Robbins family, but also I want to think about that as we share those things together. So the future hope for CCB. When we arrived, I heard people over and over tell me, um, we love Christ Church. I finally tasted the grace of God. And praise the Lord. What a beautiful thing to say about a church. Um, But I think our our prayer uh, has been that the rest of the story would also be part of who we are. That I've finally come to taste the grace of Jesus at Christ Church. And now I'm ready to give my life away to the Lord. Because that is the good life. That's actually what Paul prays for in verses 9 through 10. If you'll look with me. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure And blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Uh, Paul prays for their love to abound with knowledge and discernment and ultimately to produce people who are righteous. I think uh, we sometimes miss what that word means. We usually assume that the word righteous basically means personally pure personally pious, that I'm a good, upstanding person. And that, that's assumed in the word righteousness, that you would be a pious person is like background to what it means to be righteous. But maybe it would help if we translated it another way. Uh, it also means just. To be someone who does justice. To do justice is to seek the good and truth on behalf of others. To be actively working not only for your own health and life, but for others' health and life. And that's the reason that in the Old Testament, righteousness is so often described as caring for the fatherless, the widow, the sojourner, the refugee. Uh, And so for this reason, Bethany and I have prayed so many times that God would raise up people in this congregation who would love the poor, who would love the vulnerable, the foster children, the widows, the sojourners, the refugees, uh, partly because we felt alone, but also because we knew that none of us can do it alone. And the beautiful thing is that the Lord, the Lord has begun that. Our prayers did not fall on deaf ears and our words to you have not fallen on deaf, deaf ears either. The Lord has stirred up in many of you this love, this desire. And so we're thrilled. Bethany and I feel totally blessed and blown away by uh, the things the diaconate's doing. Developing relationships with Birchwood Elementary. uh, Developing relationships with the Hispanic community of Birchwood. uh, And walking through many hard seasons with many of you. We're also super thrilled and excited to see a fully functioning mission committee that's engaged in supporting work outside of our, our backyard in Latvia. Who's been to Latvia before? in Cuba, in Myanmar, in South Africa, not to mention caring and supporting for our own homegrown missionaries, the Fredettes, the Redheads, and our family as well. So the Spirit of God is already working to lead us in this direction. And what I want to encourage you towards is 
is to have courage to follow. Because every new stage, every aspect of maturity always brings loss and disturbance. And so we need courage to enter into that so that we can also have the goodness there as well. Maturity always involves leaving good things for better, more enduring things. I remember when we all worshipped in one service. It was nice. I look back wistfully for those days. Uh, But we're not in that stage anymore. And so what I want to say is that every new stage has its own blessings. And they often outweigh the previous ones. But that risk of being shaken up and being disturbed is present. And you've had this experience if you've gotten a new roommate. What are they going to do to the feeling of the house? What annoying things are they going to do? Are they going to be a disturbance to our life? And of course, if you've had kids... That's the question in your head too. Oh my goodness, are we going to sleep ever? Maybe, who knows? And there is always disturbance and loss. The roommate picks his toenails and leaves them on the floor. He doesn't do his dishes, right? He invites dumb friends over. Yes, there is disturbance and you don't sleep as a parent. But oh Lord, there is also new life, new love, new power that multiplies as the Lord brings us into new stages. You know, children don't divide the love and home. They actually multiply it. And so much so for every roommate, but also for every new stage at Christ's church. The point for us is that each new stage of our church life, there will always be loss and disturbance, but there are blessings. There is happiness. There are joys that we can't anticipate. Because they are beyond the horizon. And we would never taste them, never see them, never know the depths of God's goodness to us if we stubbornly stay where we are now. So God is already at work preparing good things. I mean, think about that. You don't even know what's coming. God is already at work preparing good things that are beyond the horizon coming to us. Well, what's the future hope for the Robins? Let me read verses 12 and 14. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Uh, We don't know what lies ahead. I hope it's not prison, right? (laughs) That would be a plus. It might be. I don't know. Maybe you guys will get arrested before I do. We'll see. But I know our path will bring unique losses and loneliness and wandering and darkness because it already has. Our hope in going to train pastors in Africa is not that we will be strong enough to pull it off. It's actually much closer to what Paul says here. Our hope is that through our weakness, through the pain of missing home, of leaving friends, of being misunderstood abroad and being misunderstood at home, God will be doing things we couldn't anticipate. That through our weakness and sorrow, God will bring life to those we are ministering to. And that's why Paul's happy in this passage. He is driven to spread the gospel and he's stuck behind bars. That's about as exciting as a flat tire. And yet, his happy surprise here is that God has used his weakness to embolden and encourage the others 
Let me read it to you again. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. That's our hope, that through offering ourselves to the African brothers and sisters in weakness and the vulnerability of being foreigners, God will give our African brethren the confidence that is theirs in Christ to speak up and to speak to the rest of the global church. And that brings me to my conclusion. Hope for our shared future together. You know, the wild thing about the gospel is uh, that it can bring people from immensely diverse backgrounds and not just make them function together, but bond them tightly, much more tightly than a country club or a political group. Uh, And the way Paul describes it is with that word in verse 5, partnership. It's the Greek word koinonia. He says it again in verse 7. It's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace. That's the same Greek word, partakers, partnership. In fact, it's like a million dollar Greek word. That means fellowship, having things in common, communing, participating together, partnering, and it means all those things at the same time. Paul says that the church in Philippi has had koinonia with him from the first day. And one of the things that meant was giving him money. I don't know if you saw this in in Philippians before, but it's at the end of the book, 415. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. I've received full payment and more, and fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So it does mean money. But for Paul, it means much more than just financial support. It means they had a mutuality, a giving and receiving. They were bound in partnership. They were not sponsors to be thanked at an award ceremony. Uh, They were partners in the same work. In fact, just before he thanks them for giving, he says these words. It was kind of you to share my trouble. It was kind of you to share my trouble. They felt what he felt because they were joined. They rejoiced together and grieved together. And so it is for us with Christ Church. You know, over half of our support comes from this church. Both from the church itself, but also individual families within this church. Over half. That's tremendous. And so thank you, first of all. But also, I want you to know that support to us is much more than money. It's koinonia as well. It's fellow partaking. And so let me just land the plane on that for a second. It means that we will be most deeply encouraged by you sharing our troubles and our joys. So we can share in your troubles and joys as well. It means tangibly that Christ Church will be our home church. We come back on furlough in uh, three years, we'll be here. It means that we want to bring you along with us, that you should come visit us in Malawi. I dare you. It also means that we need teammates, and so I might try and steal some of you and recruit you onto our team. It also means that as you are investing in us, you are investing in the African church. And so when the African church is matured and enabled to speak and lead, we will want you all to receive and listen to them. You know, the thing about missions is that it's a whole lot more attractive if we can all pretend that the missionaries are the saviors who are going to fix world poverty and water and all the other things that are happening there. But we're not. We can't be. 
Jesus is, right? There's only one person who has that office. And so what missions really is, is loving our brothers and sisters in Christ across the world. Missions is actually the same thing as normal ministry. It is sharing the grace that we have been given with others and then partaking in it together with them. I can't help but think that healthy African churches Godly, mature African Christians will also produce much more effective and restorative ways for caring for their own orphans, for restoring clean water, for installing just governments than any Western program can. Peace, clean water, just rulers, in a word, shalom, are all good things, things we ought to long for. But they come as the church is more and more grace-filled more and more filled with the love of Christ so that the church can be truly righteous and affect change in her own backyard. And that happens as the church around the world partners with each other. So as you partner with our family, we're actually sneaking in another person into the partnership. It's the African church. You, will, you partner with us, we are hoping that you will also partner with the African church. It's actually partnership from start to finish because Jesus is the only Savior and the only one who has power to actually bring about real change. Now, think of what these churches like Philippi accomplished with Paul. Not a bad missionary to have on your roster, right? Think of what the Lord could accomplish with mature African churches partnering with mature American churches. Now, I anticipate that mature, godly African Christians will be much more adept at evangelizing the Middle East than we are. I anticipate that we as a Western church will be transformed and renewed by learning from them, but also for our kids and grandkids that they will have better theologies written, better commentaries, and therefore better preaching and better training because we have begun to listen and hear from godly brothers and sisters from Africa, from Asia, from South America. Partnering together is how we invest in our shared future and in our children's future as well. So it's a great hope that allows us to go. And hope is the only thing that enables you and us to sacrifice and partner, as well as say goodbye for now. Goodbye for now. We will return. Come, Lord Jesus.